Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we're going to cover what happened in the national title game between Georgia and Alabama. But first, we've got scout stories where Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham, is going to drop in to talk about scouting the cornerback position. Really fun conversation with Ian at the top of the show. After that, we are then going to transition into Saturday scouting where Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler stop by. And we're going to talk through everything we saw in the national title game. Big win for Georgia, their first title uh, in a long, long time, a full generation and change uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. So congratulations to that program. We'll get into our big takeaways and the, the big plays that stood out to us from that matchup in that segment. Then we've got our on the clock segment with Chris McPherson. We're going to break down who helped themselves the most in the national title game on Monday night. We'll do that at the end, uh, along with our draft mailbag, where we've got a question from you at home about uh, the scouting process and, and studying film on draft prospects. Fun way to end the show. As always, make sure you head on over to our Apple podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, a mock draft, anything you want us to break down, that is the place to leave it. Whether you do it on Apple podcasts, you can do it on Spotify now, wherever it is. Go on, leave us your support. We will hit on it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get this going. Excited to start things off with Ian Cunningham in Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. All right, we're going to start the show off this week with Scout Stories as I welcome in Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham, to talk about the cornerback spot on defense. Ian, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, Fran. So let's talk through corner. Uh, obviously, one of the more high-profile positions, one of the more high-valued positions in the NFL draft. Uh, what makes it so hard to be able to project a corner from college to the NFL? <laughs> Fran, <laughs> it's, it's one of those positions because they, they come in all shapes and sizes. You have your nickels. You have your big corners, your long corners. There's preferences. There's um, style of play, cover two, cover three, man-to-man. There's all these variables that come into play. And uh, then you, you, you see the college game and, you know, certain colleges ask their corners to do, you know, certain techniques, you know, they don't ask them to play the ball downfield. They ask them to play the receiver's hand. So, um, you know, they come to the NFL and now they may be asked to play the ball. So it's a, it's a tougher transition. So you have all these variables that come into play. Uh, I think it's really just the fit and the player. And uh, that's why I think it's so challenging. What are, do you, or what do you feel are the, the differentiating factors, the, the, the separating thing, uh, edges that can create uh, a good player versus a great player or a good player from a solid player? I think instincts and, and, and work ethic. Um, there's, there's a, uh, you see, there's certain players that just have this feel and instincts to just be able to see the ball, um, see plays develop that understand that can pattern match, um, can read leverage, understand route concepts. Uh, you can tell the players that really study the game based off of their movement, based off of their inability. Like they don't panic downfield. They just mm. feel uh, there's a comfort level there. Um, also, you, I mean, the biggest thing is you got to be able to run. You got to be able to move uh, from A to B quickly, uh, be able to get in and out of breaks. Um, all those things matter, but I feel like the instincts and the work ethic to really care about the game and, and care about your craft. Those are the things that separate those, the good from the great. What is, what does ball skills look like for you in terms of, Hey, this is what I'm looking for in terms of a guy's ability to uh, have outstanding ball skills moving to the NFL. I think we, you know, there's, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it from just 
you know, pass deflections downfield guys that get their hands on the ball a lot. They may not bring it in to secure it, but they have a lot of pass breakups, um, downfield. That's, that's good. Um, it's great when you can actually play the ball and, and, and get a turnover. Right. And so I think it's the, the ones that, that can, there's that little bit of, uh, where, where they're, they're running, uh, hip to hip with the receiver downfield. They see the receiver's head go up, but they don't turn around right then. They wait just a little bit because they have that feel, they have that understanding, and then they can turn it at the last second, track it, go up and get it, high point it, and catch it uh, cleanly. Those are the guys that are, those are the ones you like. And the ones that are in zone that have that feel that can kind of bait a QB into making the throw and then just accelerate on the ball, undercut it, pick it off, and, and, and return it. So those are the things that you look for, at least for me, and ball skills uh, that, that I think that are, are, are separate the good and the great from PBUs to INTs. Is that when you're looking, talking about a guy that can play that ball perfectly, if you see it like once or twice on film, is that enough to say like, all right, like he's got it. Or is that something you're looking for consistently? Yeah. You obviously look for it consistently, but if they can do it once and then show you glimpses of it again, yeah, I feel like, all right, that, that can be, that can be either taught or that can be developed. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I, there's a player that came out a couple of years ago, um, against wake force. You know, there were a lot of question marks on his ability to play the ball, but he did that exact same thing, mm-hmm. uh, in his ability to kind of turn, adjust high point and secure. So it could be, I know it can be done. And we, we like to tell our guys, Hey, if they can do it once and you see flashes and glimpses of it again, that means they can do it. It just could be coached up. And is that something too, where you can see, you might not see it in a game as often, but if you see it like in practice or during warmups on a game day, you're like, all right, like some of the traits are there for us to be able to work at massage on this. I, I think so. I think the practice element is just more of it's, you know, especially with the pat and go or when the coach is telling them to, Hey, turn, turn yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's, I think you have to have some, it's gotta be in game. It's gotta be in a live period. It's mm. gotta be in a seven on seven. It's gotta be, and for me, it's got to be something that translates to the actual game because I think if you see it in a warm up, I think any a lot of people can can kind of track and adjust in a warm up. But live bullets is a little bit tough. So take us back, and our listeners may not know you were a college offensive lineman, right? Reflecting back early in your career, how has your evaluation of the cornerback position uh, evolved? Obviously, you weren't necessarily studying corners when you were an offensive lineman. So, what, how much has that uh, evaluation process evolved for you? Right. It has, I I will say I've been, I was blessed to play um, at Virginia with a coaching staff that was, uh, that made our offensive line group see the whole picture. So we had to study state safety alignments. We had to be able to fan out to a, to a corner. Granted, we were not looking at, I'm not saying we weren't evaluating (laughs) these guys then, but they had our eyes trained to at least look for these, these, these positions. Um, And then going to Baltimore and just learning, under those guys there, uh, it's it. I think it's an ongoing process and it's still, I'm still learning. I'm still getting better. It's picking the brains of, you know, uh, Jonathan Gannon and Denard and those guys. Now, what do they like? What, what do they look for? What do they want? And then us trying to go out and get the types of players and types of skill sets that, that fit their defense. And, uh, for us to be able to talk about the players on and off the field. So I think it's, I mean, scouting is you're always trying to grow, right. And you're Mm -hmm. always trying to get better. And, uh, for us, it's still, it's a work in progress. So I'm still trying to get better at that. How exciting is that when you have a new coaching staff come in 
and you get a whole new set of people to be able to pull information from and try and learn things from. So you, you mentioned, uh, you know, JG and Denard Wilson. Um, how, how exciting is that process? It's awesome. I mean, you, you, if you take into account, it's just for, you just put in more, more bullets in the chamber in terms of just uh, putting more thoughts into like, how do you evaluate? How do you, what do they like? Um, Denard played the position. I think JG played the position just so they have a feel for the types of qualities, the types of things that they look for. And they played with some good players too. So um, just being able to pick their brain, uh, you know, having Jim Schwartz here a few years ago, just being able to pick his brain for mm -hmm. his knowledge of being around so many good players. Uh, I think there's a benefit of that. So uh, then you're just trying to watch it and see what works on the field and, and what doesn't, what types of things that you look for that you like that may work and what types of things you look for that you like that don't work. So it's just going to make you a better evaluator. Well, Ian, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us here today to talk about the cornerback spot. We'll talk to you again soon, right here on the journey of the draft podcast. Talk soon, friends. All right. So good stuff uh, there for me and Cunningham. Always fun to catch up with Ian. Um, and I thought it was important what he said about the, the cornerback position. So many preferences and styles of play. And we talk about this all the time with defensive players in particular, right? I think when you look at corner safety linebacker, so many different ways these guys are deployed and used. And so all the different scheme preferences, the body types, uh, just so many variables as Ian put it uh, and corner uh, is definitely one of those positions uh, separating factors. I think what he said about, uh, instincts and work ethic and setting those guys apart. I thought that was good. And I love his definition of ball skills. I thought that that was really good. Uh, you know, talking about how the pass breakup can be a good representation of ball skills and how uh, some of those small signs that you look for, for a guy that can have good ball skills, maybe he does, or maybe he doesn't. I love how he talked about if you just see him do it once, then you can get him to do it again, especially with a trait like that. Uh, because that's such an innate trait uh, in my mind, ball skills to see like, Hey, this guy can do it. Let's pull it out of him more. I think that was a really cool note uh, there for me. And then obviously uh, his evolution of his process and just working with new coaches, working with Jonathan Gannon, working with Denard Wilson, uh, really good stuff there from Ian Cunningham. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. A couple more of these uh, before we wrap things up for the 2021 season. That said, talk about our national title takeaways here. It's time to welcome in Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell for Saturday Scouting. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's jump in now for Saturday scouting as we break down the national title game, Georgia getting the big win over Alabama. We'll welcome in Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell. Guys, uh, let's just kind of talk through the biggest headlines coming out of this game. And obviously a lot to discuss the, the big win for Georgia in the rematch. Dane, I'll come to you first. What's the, what's the big thing just walking away from this game uh, that stands out to you? Oh man. Yeah. The, so many, so many future pros on that field. Uh, you know, I, before this, uh, before the game, I came out with my top 30 draft eligible players uh, that were playing in this game from both teams. And it's just crazy. that There are that many players 
it, it just ever on the field. And so it's, it's going to be really interesting to see which juniors come out now. And I think that Georgia's got a good chance to set a new record. There's currently at 14 in the modern era. Um, and, but you know, there's a lot of different directions we could go here. We could talk Stetson Bennett. Um, you know, we could talk about, uh, you know, obviously Jamison Williams going down with that knee injury, how, how, how brutal that was, uh, for Alabama's chances in that game. But then also just talking about, uh, Jamison Williams as a prospect and how that might change things. Uh, but for me, I thought, uh, something that really stood out to me is just Georgia's linebackers. And this has been a theme all year, but especially in this national title win, uh, Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, uh, Nolan Smith, all four basically taking turns, blitzing, rushing the passer. Uh, and then the other linebackers covering the blitzer, I, I did the design, the coaching, the execution. It was just perfect. I, but above all, you need the players to be able to put that type of heat consistently on an offense and specifically Bryce young. Who's one of the more poised quarterbacks in the college football. He processes things really well. And so you can only rattle them so much, but I thought Georgia did a really good job and all four of those guys, those linebackers, I think they all four are probably top, 75 picks, uh, Quay Walker. I know when your favorites, Fran, it looks like a defensive end out there. Six, four, two runs like a deer. Moves like, I was gonna say, really moves like a safety though. Game. He looks like a yeah. DN and he moves like a safety. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, he can scrape, he can flow, he can chase. I mean, he can do it all. Channing Tindall. I, it, there was a few times where he had a misstep in coverage, but when he's working downhill, he's a man possessed. Uh, he had a big chase sack, um, on a third down when Alabama was in the red zone. And there was another play, uh, where he blitzes through the a gap. It's a quick throw. He immediately gets off his block and then chases down the play at the numbers. So, uh, I mean, all of these guys had their moments and I think all four contributed to uh, the national title win. And uh, it, like I said, it was a theme all year and without uh, the, really the linebackers being the soul of that defense without those linebackers, I don't think we're talking about Georgia as national champions. Well, Fran, Dane, I mean, that linebacker speed, the intensity, the physicality on both sides. And we might as well open this up to not just those four on Georgia, but Henry Toyo Toyo, Christian Harris on the other yeah. side, all night long, hurrying the quarterback's process, both mentally hurrying it and forcing physical hurrying of actually having to speed up the motion. I felt like both quarterbacks exhibited as much poise as they could, but these guys were under duress and panicky a lot of the night because of these, this linebacking core and how these defensive coordinators deploy that speed and, and intensity. So as much as I want to talk about the defensive physicality and how fast everybody was and how violent they were both sides of the ball guys, my takeaway so well coached, not only technique wise with getting off the ball, playing with their hands, but schematically yeah, in yeah. their run fits, assignments, angles, where to leverage things. And then how about the effort? And this is coached effort, whether it's things like Dane talking about a blitzer changing directions and going and chase the ball. How many times did we see Toyo Toyo blitz downhill, turn around, retrace and go chase the ball. That really isn't his assignment. He was the blitzer. But this type of intensity and effort is coached into these guys. There was a play late in the fourth quarter, and Kobe Dean had to chase the running back out to the perimeter, went to go tackle him, fell down, shot right back up for another tackle attempt within like a second. Like you just can, can almost feel how it's coached on the practice field of 
Once you fall down, get right back up and go chase that ball. There's no sulking. There's no pounding the turf. And I love seeing it, whether it was the clip Dane highlighted of, I believe, Trayvon Walker hustling 20, 30 yards down the field. These linebackers retracing their blitzes. Nolan Smith chasing plays to the perimeter. The effort, the intensity, the physicality, the speed, the collective nature of both these defensive units. Really, really impressive. You know, the sequence I loved most from Nicobe Dean uh, was that sequence, and they did a great job of pointing it out on the broadcast, was after it looked like it was a miscommunication and a coverage between he and Channing Tindall on the goal line, and Nicobe Dean gets in Tindall's face, really, really intense, you know, like, you know, whatever it was, just kind of coaching him through that moment. Very next play, Tindall gets home on the blitz, Ben, as you're alluding to, and he uh, harasses uh, Bryce Young, forces an incomplete pass. Nicobe Dean's the first guy to him, and is like, that's what we're looking for as they're going off the field on third down. Like, uh, there was a piece that Bruce Feldman did on the athletic uh, over the weekend, kind of highlighting that Georgia defense. And he went like level by level, just highlighting the different players. And uh, it was a really well done piece, obviously. But one of the, the comments in there from anonymous SEC coaches, anonymous SEC offensive coaches talked about Nicobe Dean and how like, the thing that most stands out about him, what makes him so valuable are the intangibles and how fast he can get through the Rolodex of all of their pre-snap checks. Hey, they make an audible at the line of scrimmage offensively. He quickly changes the defense up and to have that in a true junior linebacker to me, that's the most valuable part of what Nicobe Dean brings to the table. You talk about the ferocity and the violence and uh, you know, the, the way what he's able to do as a blitzer and all of those other things to me, like that's what makes Nicobe Dean uh, a top flight kind of linebacker prospect. That's what to me sets him apart, Ben. And Fran, I think it's important to note that that kind of barking at his teammate, that wasn't a showing up. That wasn't a dressing down. That's just a leader, a captain in a physical high intensity moment, getting his point across. And that's their language of love on that Georgia defense. That's how they talk to each other in those moments in a very intense, you know, physical sport that's how your points get communicated and you know how and, and you know yeah. how you know that is how tyndall responded like that's how i was just about to say his response of yeah. those words wasn't a what who do you think you're talking to it's a you're right that's my yeah. leader telling me how it is and i'm going to step up next play and make up for that just like he did yeah, I love that. And I guess one aspect of this going over to the Alabama side, guys, um, my big takeaway, Dane, you alluded to it, the, the loss of Jamison Williams. We could talk about, there's a lot of different ways we can go about this, uh, how it impacts the wide receiver class, what it means for him. Is he going to go back to school? Obviously, John Mechie dealing with a similar injury, right? So both these guys are going to be on similar timelines. But to me, one of the big things in this game was that Bama's two big stars coming into this game. And Dane, you said this after the, after that title, at the SEC title game uh, a few weeks ago. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, both in the running to be the number one pick in 2023, right? I thought in this game, both of those guys came to play. Christian Harris, the other star for Alabama, came to play. I don't know that the Tide got enough from their role players, especially after the Williams injury. You didn't have Mechie. Uh, just you know, some of those throws that Bryce Young made under pressure, layering throws underneath and over top of defenders, under pressure, on the run, on the move made some outstanding throws and there were some bad decisions. You know, there were some bad sacks that Bryce young took in the game. He wasn't perfect, but you needed one of those guys to be able to come up and make the big catch. Ben, you and I talked about it last week here on the show. Who's the guy that's going to come up and, and have that Devonte Smith moment when Tua Tonga Vailoa comes in and throws the touchdown in overtime to the true freshman wide receiver that nobody had heard of. And Alabama just didn't have anybody that could come up and make that play. Georgia on the other hand did right. Oh, the receiver that, uh, that had that touchdown uh, that really kind of cemented the game. 
no one was talking about this kid coming in, right? And I know all of a sudden now he's catching the game-winning touchdown, essentially, uh, in the national title. I think that was one of my big takeaways, that Alabama just could not get that play when it mattered most from one of those role players that, you know, kind of in the background. Yeah, it wasn't so much of a disappointment of not having Jamison Williams or Mechie, but just not having somebody step up because you know there's more than capable players behind those. You know there's some five stars just dying for that opportunity to get on the field and show what they can do, just like Mitchell did for Georgia, who is a true freshman five-star receiver that was just trying to leapfrog guys like George Pickens on the on the pecking order. Yep. So showing up and contributing when you get that opportunity is the name of the game. Georgia did, Alabama didn't, and that was one of my notes here. No help for Bryce Young. He just needed help. He needed a friend on the other side to make a tough catch. He's under pressure. He's running for his life. And in combination with all that, made some pretty good throws that I thought could have been pulled in on the other side. Um, one player I think he did get some help from, how about Brian Robinson, guys? Yeah. And just the toughness he ran. There was a run in the fourth quarter where I think he shrugged off five different Georgia defenders on a single run. And I think he caught that angle route that was really nice over the middle. I thought he had a very productive, strong game in kind of a quiet package. It yeah. didn't show up in the, like the stat sheet or anything, but I, I went through the tape this morning and there were probably three or four plays where I just went, oh, wow. Okay. And I know the exact player talking about, he had four broken tackles uh, deep in their own uh, part of the field. And just, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he is a, and, and, I mean, there's no, nothing closer to an NFL defense at the college level this year than Georgia's defense. And the fact that he's breaking all those tackles uh, that, that bodes well for his future. And guys, some of those stalemate plays where all intents and purposes, the play is over. They're kind of stalemated, the defensive player, the ball carrier. That's when guys go crack a beer and get some popcorn and watch who wants to finish the play because he's a guy that takes a lot of pride in falling forward. And Georgia takes a lot of pride in bending ball, ball carriers back. So I know it may only be a two yard run on paper, watch the end of these plays and the effort these guys are giving. Sometimes they aren't moving because that's what you call the stalemate when there's force against force and nobody's doing anything. But some of those two and three and one yard runs, oof, that was big boy football there. And Brian Robinson, a two yard run from him might've been a two yard loss by somebody else. So may not have been the explosive plays. He did a lot of dirty work in there. And even on the other side too, because you watch like Justin Schaefer and that Georgia offensive line, like oh, right, yes. <laughs> Schaefer was trying to kill somebody. Uh, and some of them you would say, ah, eh, like kind of questionable uh, late in the, late in the down. But I think when you look at uh, just how uh, hard these two lines of scrimmage fought, uh, you know, our, our buddy, Brandon Thorne, what is it? It's, it's trench warfare, right? Is the name of his, uh, his sub stack. Mm -hmm. This was uh, the definition of trench warfare with these two teams. It was a, a really fun game to watch. Obviously a little bit different than uh, people kind of panned out with just the amount of scoring but um, a really fun one to take in. Uh, Dane, you mentioned that you went through the film. Uh, it's to kind of get your one play takeaway as you, as you walk away from watching that tape, watching that tape. Uh, well, I, Ben, Ben mentioned it. I mean, it was the Trevon Walker right mm -hmm. before halftime, Alabama's driving. Uh, they had the 30 yard catch and run down the sideline. The receiver like broke a tackle. And so he kind of stopped for a moment before he had to, you know, kind of get back up to full speed. And while he was doing that, and it looked like he had a clear lane right down the sideline where it, it might have been six points. Here comes 280 pound Travon Walker chasing him down for the tackle. 
he started Walker started that play over the a gap. Okay. And to cover that amount of ground showing off that type of speed for a guy, his size, I, I mean, it's one thing to have the talent, but then you also have the effort on top of it. And if you, and I, I posted the all 22 clip on, uh, on Twitter, if you, uh, for those that didn't see it live, but watch everybody else, watch the other Georgia players, the other Georgia linemen kind of jogging towards the play. And then you've got this grizzly bear chasing down the wide receiver. Uh, if he doesn't make that play, it's a much different score at halftime and maybe a different feel, maybe, maybe momentum's just a little bit different. So uh, I've gushed about Trevon Walker before I I've got him very high on my, on my board. I think he's uh, you know, a guy that's got all the talent. But this play was a game-changing play, so uh, you know he, he definitely gets my vote here. Uh, that uh, you were you were very modest by saying like oh a, a likely touchdown a potential touchdown dude he's walking in the end zone if Walker does not make that play. <laughs> that was a, an outstanding play from Trevon Walker. Uh, ben, how about you? Uh, what's what's a play that stands out to you from this one? Well, we touched on earlier the true freshman Mitchell making that huge touchdown catch in a one-on-one 50-50 situation. Um, who's a six, 490 pound receiver. I'm sure we'll be talking about in a year or two looks very much cut from the, uh, Clemson cloth of those type of tall, long gazelles. That was really good coverage on the back end too, but he gave his guy an opportunity because of the offsides, which I think was really interesting to kind of look at the whole sequence blitz by Christian Harris up the middle. James cook took a bad step initially to release outside, then got back inside, stepped up cut down Harris, got in the right spot for pass protection, gave Stetson Bennett just a sniff of time to get that ball out. And I thought it was no coincidence. Will Anderson zone dropped on that play. So he was not in the face of Stetson Bennett like he was most of the night. Guys, Will Anderson, he had a tell. He had a tip on that snap count. They had to do something to mix up the cadences or some hard counts to keep him at bay. He was very, very impressive last night. And you know, the whole scheme, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, we can't block this guy. So we're not gonna, we're going to read them and try to slow him down and make them read. Yeah. That didn't work either. So I don't know what to do with this kid. Yeah. Tight ends, double teams, move the pocket misdirection. He was on all of it. Quick game. Oh yeah. I'm going to get my hands up in the passing lane too. He's checked every box he needs to check. And I think we're due for a very interesting discussion about Will Anderson jr. Moving forward this summer. Guys, uh, one real quick thing. We haven't really talked about Stetson Bennett and his performance. Does this, how, how much does this move the needle for you when it comes to Stetson Bennett moving forward and uh, projecting him into 2022 and beyond? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still don't see an NFL player myself. Um, I don't, I, I don't even know if he's, he might go back to Georgia. Uh, he's got yeah. another year of eligibility yep. uh, because of COVID. So I, I think he's got a decision to make. If he does decide to pursue an NFL career, I don't, I don't think he's draftable, um, but you know, all the credit to him for what he did in this game. And, you know, he, he said after the game, cause he had that, that fumble, uh, it, you know, late in the game, he said that he wasn't going to be the reason Georgia lost that game. And he wasn't, I mean, he, yep. the way he came back and uh, you know, gave it, Gave, he put so much heart into it. Um, you know, I remember the first time I ever was introduced to Stetson Bennett was, I think it was against, I think it was the Alabama game last year uh, where Georgia had a little bit of momentum. They were going to knock off Alabama and you know, the, they were just not strong enough at quarterback. And Stetson Bennett was, was that guy, a former walk-on uh, and to see how far he's come just in terms of his confidence in terms of, you know, I don't have to be the star of this offense. I just need to, let the stars around me shine. Um, I mean, you look at the Georgia run game, 
Zamir White averaged 6.5 yards a carry. James Cook, 12.8 yards a carry. When's the last time Alabama gave up two or had played uh, two uh, running backs who had that type of yards per carry? Uh, so, I, you know, I, I think Stetson Bennett, all, all credit to him uh, for what he did this season, especially uh, winning the offensive MVP in the national title game. Yeah, it's definitely more in the uh, the Greg McElroy game manager conversation of, uh, you know, you can win big games with him, but he doesn't have NFL tools as far as arm strength, athleticism, or size. Uh, if you're looking for kind of a similar trajectory comparison, to look at Kellen Moore and the way he kind of left his college career at Boise State and uh, was a smart kid, but never materialized as an actual NFL player and went to coaching immediately. Um, and I think a good perspective of, the last 21 years of drafts under six, one under 200 pounds, three quarterbacks have been drafted and that's Pat white, Seneca Wallace and Joe Hamilton. So it is not a normal type of thing uh, for a guy to not be big, not be athletic, not have a big arm to uh, find his way to the NFL. Joe Hamilton. That's a hell of a pull. Uh, outstanding name drop there uh, on your part. Um, Dane, you, you alluded to that fumble from Stetson Bennett. That was actually my one play takeaway. And I mentioned Christian Harris earlier, Ben, you talked about his usage, three sacks in this game and that sack fumble. So obviously there was the big review and was it a fumble? Was it not? It ends up turning into a fumble. Bama scores the touchdown. And I'm like, all right, well, this is, this is the play of the game. This is what the, the floodgates open that we've, we've watched this movie before many times. This is where Alabama runs away and, and they, uh, uh, and they take the game and they win the national title, but um, credit to Georgia credit to Stetson Bennett, the, both sides of the football, the way that they were able to rebound. But to me that Christian Harris, his performance in this game, especially what he did as a blitzer, like I said earlier, uh, the guy was just all over the field, just a ton of fun to watch. So uh, let's one we'll, other, sorry, one, one other player I do want to mention um, Christopher Smith, this, uh, Georgia safety, mm-hmm. that interception that he had. Uh, I mean, he was lined up. Uh, on the outside as a corner on that play. And he watched the eyes of Bryce Young the entire way, came off his man to go get that overthrow and make the interception. So, I mean, it, it didn't look like the most difficult interception just on watching on TV. We had seen the, the amount of ground he had to cover based off of his read of the quarterback made it a really impressive interception. He also Christopher Smith had a season high in tackles with seven. He had three passes defended uh, in all uh, last night. So Christopher Smith, I wanted to give him a shout out as well. No, that's good. A good call uh, on your part. It was a big play in the game, obviously as well. Uh, guys, we're going to come back to this national title game in the next segment, but real quick, uh, just going to want to touch base and see who you guys have been watching here over the last week. Ben, I want to come to you first. Who's your, uh, your film room recap here for the week? Well, I've been watching a couple of unique players. I had a lot of fun watching uh, Leo Chanel from Wisconsin, that 6'2", 260-pound hulking linebacker who's pretty much a downhill run-plugger type, a little bit like an A.J. Hawk or even like a Dante Hightower. I think he'll be a scheme-specific guy, uh, find a Belichick disciple type of type of team. Those Nebraska defenders, guys, Cam Taylor-Britt, JoJo Doman, head into the Senior Bowl next month. Man, they are fun to watch. Physical big corner and... Uh, Taylor Britt could convert to safety and Jojo 230 pound guy with all sorts of speed. He essentially is playing the same role that like Jalen Petrie is playing at Baylor at like 195 pounds. It's very similar schematically and positionally, but in much different packages. So that nickel Sam kind of detached player, all all sorts of different shapes and sizes in college football. It's really fun to kind of watch, but the guy I wanted to talk about is Tyler Algier 
from BYU. This running back that I think needs more and more buzz. I know Dane's been trying to pump him up throughout the season here. He's got good size. He's got good vision. He's got excellent play temperament and playing behind his pads and finishing runs and looking for extra yardage. He's thick. I mean, guys, five running backs ran for a thousand yards in the NFL this year. There is a common theme among them all. They're all 225. They're all 220. They have the body armor to survive the NFL. Yes, these 190-pound scat backs are fun. They're explosive. You want to get the ball in their hands. They don't survive between the tackles on a daily basis out here in the NFL. So guys like Tyler Algier, Hassan Haskins, Brian Robinson, Alabama, these guys are going to be on NFL teams, rosters, and be running the ball on first and second down on Sundays before you know it. So he reminds me a little bit of like an Isaiah Crowell type, a guy with really good size and has some juice in the open field. Really fun story too. I mean, he played linebacker in 2019, was purely a special teamer early on at BYU and just a perspective of the snapshot of his production. The last two years, 20 plus yard runs, he's got the third most in college football. So he's a guy that's been producing just those uh, independent teams in BYU, you know, don't always end up on your TVs on Saturdays or they're playing late, just doesn't have enough buzz. And if you need some other chip in there, Go watch Zach Wilson last year. How many times this guy is just protecting four, five, six seconds into the down while Zach Wilson ran around trying to make plays. Tyler Algier has played a lot of good football. He's got good size. Don't sleep on this kid. I like it. I actually go, I'm going to stay in that same position group because I did a running back and a linebacker going to the senior bowl for the first time that uh, I really wanted to, and they're, they're interesting in that, I think both guys are kind of mirrors of each other. Rashad White from Arizona State, a running back, uh, 6'2", 210 pounds. This guy's a really impressive athlete. He gets to, to top speed really fast. He can pull away in open space. He's got the burst to be able to pull away. I, I really enjoyed watching him from a pure athletic standpoint. He can be a little bit indecisive at times when that initial path is, is not super uh, super clear and well-defined. But I think you know I actually wrote down uh, Miles Sanders. I wrote down uh, Antonio Gibson while watching him. I think he's built more like Gibson. Um I think the big thing is if you can get him into a scheme where you can define things really well and get him out in the space, either the perimeter run game, or if it's those downhill runs, just keep things uh, really well defined for him. And there are a lot of different ways to do that. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty of the X and O from that standpoint. I think Rashad white could be a really effective piece. And if not, I think this is a guy that could be a really impact, an impact role player uh, because of what he can do in the past game. I know last year he averaged over 11 and a half yards of touch, uh, both past game and run game. So uh, this is a guy that's got plenty of juice. He's a fun player uh, to be able to study. He's going down uh, to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And then uh, at linebacker, I watched Damone Clark uh, from LSU. And this is a guy that really didn't become a full-time starter until this year. 6'3", over 240 pounds. This is a big kid. This is a big linebacker. He moves like he's got unique movement. I mean, his speed, his lateral movement, his short area burst, he closes so fast. So that's why I, I kind of want to talk about both of these guys, because they're, like I said, they're kind of mirror images of each other. What I do like about Clark, and because I did a little bit of him last year, he's seeing things a lot faster this year. And also he's, he plays through contact pretty well. Um, there are times where the lineman gets up on top of him uh, that he can get stuck, but he can, he's able to run through contact on the move. Well, I think he navigates through traffic at a high rate. They love him as a blitzer. And he was really, really productive in that role. We've been talking about the, the, uh, the Georgia and Alabama linebackers all show already. Uh, I think when you look at Damon Clark, uh, this is a guy that can do a lot for you at the second level. He he's a fun, but to me, like we're not talking enough about uh, Clark as a, you know, top 100 type player uh, in this class. He has almost 500 special team snaps too. He's long, he's tall. He's got good size. He can run. He's checking a lot of boxes. He's a, he's a top five linebacker for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yep. He came in. He came in at number five. Okay. Let me ask you Clark or Quay Walker. Ooh, I think I'm going to go Quay Walker, but I'm not going to feel great okay. about it. I think I'm going to go Quay Walker though. Dude, this, this linebacker group, is really good. I, we got to wait yeah. for some of these juniors that we, we don't know about the Kobe Dean status yet. There's a few other guys, but this linebacker group is really good. I mean, if you, if you look at uh, between the two Georgia kids and Tyndall and Walker, Devin Lloyd, David Clark, Chad Muma, uh, and that's just the seniors. Like that's, that's a really good group. Yeah. I've got Muma. Clark Walker, those three guys kind of all great okay. similar yep. and yep. like they're, in a, they're in a similar range for me as top, you know, 60 type guys. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really good players and Clark. It just, it, it things clicked for him this year. And, you know, I, with the new staff, new defensive coaching staff, what they, what it was asked to do, he just, he's playing with a lot more confidence and it shows he, he's a big athlete, really long too, 33 inch arms. So you know, I'm glad you, you brought him up. Uh, he, Clark's a really good player. I'm going to stick a linebacker for me. And, and Ben mentioned him, Leo Chanel. Uh, I, I just, he, he's a guy that I, like I finished his report. And so, you know, I, I think my appreciation for him just grew more and more and more. Uh, the more I watched of him, because he's just, he's such a good player. His eyes are outstanding. Uh, the, his aggressive flow is terrific. His feel for uh, block development is outstanding. Um, I just, he, he, he's so good downhill with understanding football geometry and all the moving parts and he can work on his contact balance is elite. The, the best contact balance of any linebacker I've studied so far. Um, now the question is going to be with him. Does he have the range to hold up in coverage? He's not the most fluid guy. He doesn't have very good ball skills. Uh, so he has room to grow as a cover man but the run instincts are exceptional. He, his key and diagnosed skills are well above average. And then I mentioned the contact balance, how, how, how good he is in that area. I, you know, he reminded me a lot of uh, not a perfect comparison, but I saw some similarities with Jordan Brooks uh, coming out of tech. Uh, who was a first round pick of the Seahawks. So yeah. I think there, there's some similarities there with the way they, they process and the way they move uh, especially downhill. But yeah, he Chanel is a really good player. And Hey, He's uh, he's one of 16 uh, kids. He's got 15 siblings. So uh, <laughs> as uh, someone that's the oldest of eight, I, I, I can relate with uh, uh, a guy like that in a situation. So uh, uh, Chanel's a really good player. And Dean, real quick, I guess for perspective for listeners, the Zach Bond, buyer beware type of Wisconsin product, same position, different role? Mm-hmm. Uh, different. I mean, a little bit different. I but, Zach was asked to rush a little bit more as a pass rusher. I mean, he, right. he was, you know, more, he, he was more of a blitzer than a pass rusher, but still he was bringing it more downhill consistently where um, I don't think, uh, you know, Leo was asked to do it. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Algier. Uh, let me, let me ask you this. You know, the only school to offer him at a high school. I don't division two Southern Nazarene out of Oklahoma. The only school to offer him a scholarship. And here we're talking about a guy that I, I mean, I think, you know, we're on the same page with, he deserves more attention. I, he's probably going to end up as a top five line or top five running back for me. Uh, just a, a really, really good player. And, you know, I, I know people point to, well, what's his contribution in the past game. And listen, he didn't catch the ball a ton running back four, whoever that is came on the field a lot on third downs. I really don't care. You need a first, second down guy to run between the tackles in today's NFL. So that's going to be the, yeah, but what does he do? I don't care about third down. He's a guy that you need to run the ball hard, stay on schedule. Everybody wants this. 
but nobody wants to value it until your starting running back gets hurt or you realize you're running back three and four can't run the rock and fill in for somebody. So Tyler Algier, I think is a really good player. I mean, let's just point to that hustle play this year, him running down Merlin Robertson. I mean, is that not a guy you want in your locker room, just watching that play alone. And then to hear his story of being unsung, not a lot of offers converting from side of the ball. I mean, this is a guy that's checking boxes and a guy I think you want in your locker room. Well, and that's it. The, the, the story is amazing. Cause it, it, not only that he goes, he's goes to BYU as a walk on. And because he's not part of the, the church of Latter-day Saints, his tuition is double. So he, he has to pay what more than more than what a lot of the kids that are going to BYU have to pay. He was working at Walmart as a freshman at BYU. So, I mean, he, his story is awesome and he's just a really good player. He set a BYU record for his career, averaging 6.4 yards per carry. And, and you mentioned the the third down. I mean, he's a reliable screen guy. I mean, check down mm-hmm. option. He can do that. And as a blocker, I, I think he's, uh, you know, passable as well. So I, you know, I, I have no problem with him staying on the field on third downs. And I think it's interesting because when you look at this running back class in general, I think that's going to be one of the first questions on a lot of these players scouting reports. You look at Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Kenneth Walker, Damian Pierce, Brian Robinson, uh, Zonovan Knight, Devontae Price, Abram Smith, Hassan Haskins, right? All these, Zach Charbonnet, like, oh, you go through that list. All these guys are going to have questions about what are they as pass catchers, right? And I think if they weren't used all that often uh, in that role in college, I think that's going to be a big theme. We're going to be talking about a lot with a lot of these, a lot of these guys uh, moving forward into this draft. Well, uh, guys, we've talked about a ton of players here. We talked a lot about the national title game. We're going to continue talking about the national title game in our next segment on the clock. And this is going to be the last one guys. We don't have any more games, obviously. So this is our last one. And just to kind of set the board with where we are at, Dane's got five wins this year. I've got five wins. Ben's got four. So if Ben gets a win here, he ties it up and we're, we're going to go away here with a tie. If either Dane or I get the win, well, then we, then we know who the, uh, the outright winner is here for 2021 uh, guys. Let's see how this goes. And on the clock on the clock. All right, let's keep the show rolling here with On the Clock. They welcome in Chris McPherson and C-Mac. Uh, let's get into a big one here. Obviously, talking about this national title game, continuing this discussion after Georgia's big win over Alabama. The topic this week, who, which player for the 2022 draft most helped their stock with their performance on Monday night? Dane is going to start us off. I'll go second. Ben will go third. C-Mac, uh, you got to get your thoughts as we set this up. Yeah, I, I think the big thing there is which 2022 draft prospect. We're keeping it to this class. That is the key as we get things rolling here. And uh, Dane, you get the honors. You know, phenomenal show from you guys so far, recapping the big game, big win for uh, the Bulldogs. So let's see who comes out on top and on the clock. Dane, you're up. All right, so only one player uh, from, from the game, uh, from the national title game, went over 100 yards receiving. And I'm not sure many would guess who that was. The answer is Alabama tight end Cameron Latu. Uh, and I'm pivoting a little bit. You know, I, instead of going with the Georgia player, I'm going to go with the you know Alabama, the losing team. I'm going to go with someone that really st- uh, stood out for them. He had an outstanding game, uh, and he was already a big part of what they do on offense, uh, both as a blocker and receiver. But once Jamison Williams went down with that knee injury, just a, a devastating blow to that offense. The next thought is, okay, next man up. Who's going to step up in the passing game in his absence? And that's exactly what Latu did. He had a 61-yard catch and run midway through the second quarter. That set up Alabama in the red zone. And then later, he had a touchdown where he shoved the safety off in mid-route, gave Bryce Young a target. He finished with five catches, 102 yards, one touchdown. 
And, you know, we've talked about it before. This tight end class might not have a first round pick, but it's going to be one of the deeper positions in this year's draft. So for Latu, who scouts expect to enter the draft, he's a redshirt junior, having a big game like this on that type of stage. Yes, his team lost, but his performance was impressive. And it's funny, you go back to the summer, the tight end we were talking about from Alabama was Jaleel Billingsley. Uh, he was expected to emerge and be this major playmaker. That didn't happen. It seemed like more negative things happened when he was targeted. Uh, but meanwhile, you have this former defensive end who moved to offense as a freshman uh, at, at Alabama. Latu's in his fourth season in Tuscaloosa. He had zero catches coming into this year. And his consistency at the position and what he brought to the offense was really a big part of what they did all year. But then especially in the title game, uh, he emerged as a more consistent player and a better NFL prospect. So uh, as NFL teams stack their boards at tight end, I think this title game is something that they might point to when they talk about lots of. Well, yeah, you want to have your best performances on the biggest stage and no bigger stage than the natty. No doubt about that. And especially the fact that he came in after Williams's injury to have a big performance. So Dane, nice opening salvo from you, Fran, you're second on the board here. Yeah, and I'm going to go with a little bit of a different spin on it because this is, you know, Cameron Latu, uh, not really on the the forefront of a lot of people's minds coming into the season. As Dane mentioned, Billingsley was the guy in the spotlight. Similarly, on the defensive side of the ball, one guy for Alabama that a lot of people were talking about were very aware of Christian Harris, the linebacker for the Crimson Tide. And to me, like he may have saved his best game for last. And with what he did against Alabama, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, but Christian Harris. Seven total tackles, four TFLs, three sacks, just a force, and was making plays from sideline to sideline. You saw some hustle plays from him uh, in pursuit. You saw him always harassing uh, Stetson Bennett, nearly comes up with the pivotal play in the game, C-Mac. And to me, when you talk about the linebackers, you know, regardless of which side of the ball we were discussing, if it was Georgia or Alabama, obviously so much focus on N'Kobe Dean and those Georgia linebackers. I thought Harris had the best game of any linebacker uh, in this game. So I think when you look at uh, what Christian Harris did against Georgia, uh, making plays sideline to sideline, kind of showing off why he was viewed as one of the top players in his position. And I think that that, that performance really kind of put an exclamation point on the end of his 2021 season. What's his resume? What was his resume coming into tonight? How, how come he's almost saving his best for last year in this national championship? Well, I think that overall, you just look at, at that Alabama defense. There was obviously a lot of love thrown towards Will Anderson, who was up in line for a bunch of awards. I mean, uh, I don't know that it was like necessarily regarded as a bad season for Christian Harris, but uh, you know, he sets the, a season high with three sacks. I think he had uh, he had two and a half coming into the game. He had three in this one alone, right? So the way they were able to use him as a blitzer uh, was just really, really impactful, and he just showed up time and time and time again on the biggest stage. So uh, look, I, I know that we've talked about him plenty on the show uh, over the course of this season. I think all three of us are really high on Christian Harris as a prospect, um, but with what he did in this game, I think this was just his best game of 2021. Last question on Harris before we get to Ben here. Is Harris a coverage linebacker? Is he an edge rusher? What, what type of player does he project to at the next level? He does a little bit of everything. Uh, and I would say that mostly he has been more used as a blitzer over the course, of, especially the last couple of years. But CMAC, uh, he was a high school safety who made the transition to linebacker when he first got on campus. So uh, as a true freshman, there were a bunch of injuries at the, at the, in a linebacking core for Alabama. He was kind of thrust in and had to become a, a day one linebacker. And that was, they, they were hoping to bring him along slower and, you know, kind of redshirt him early on. 
he was forced into the limelight early and they ended up uh, just kind of taking off from there. So uh, a three-year starter at linebacker, he's used all over the place, but definitely has been more impactful moving forward. All right, Ben, are we saving the best for last year? Well, I like to think so here. And just remember the prompt, which 2022 prospect helped themselves the most. So Christian Harris was linebacker three on Dane's uh, positional rankings last month. I was really impressed to see Dane had Cameron Latu as his 11th tight end on his rankings. A guy that, you know, Dane's always getting ahead of these guys. And Latu uh, was a really interesting player considering his conversion from the defensive side to the offensive side. Better size than Billingsley. He's really that wide tight end that puts his hand in the turf and does a lot of the dirty work for the Alabama offense. But my player is nowhere on Dane's positional rankings. And he did a top 15 of every position. And I'm going to go with defensive end for Georgia, Nolan Smith. And this is a really interesting player that's just kind of a victim of a deep, deep Georgia defensive front. And this is a guy that's a true junior, so he could go back for a senior campaign. He was a five-star at IMG, which is slow to get on the field initially, almost in the disappointment category among Georgia fans, considering their expectations. And he just couldn't leapfrog guys like Adam Anderson and... Uh, uh, Aziz Jolari and guys like that. But last night, I thought he was one of the best players on the field for Georgia. Had the kind of a game ceiling sack there on fourth down to, to clinch the game, but made plays all over the place throughout the game, whether it was kind of slanting into the B gap and fighting through double teams, big plays out to the sideline, showing off that speed and that perimeter pursuit. This is a explosive athlete that is just a little bit buried on the prospect radar because Georgia is so deep. So he's a talented kid. He's a really good kid off the field, too. He's smart, very polished. He's a guy that you want representing your team, and you probably want him dating your daughter. He's one of those types of guys. But Nolan Smith, victim of a deep Georgia defensive group, but a really good player, and I thought was one of the best players on the field last night. You talked about the explosiveness. What are his measurables coming out? He's about 6'3", and he's playing between 235 and 240. So a little bit of the undersized kind of stand-up outside linebacker. But you really see that with his change of direction and his perimeter pursuit and just his overall hustle to the football. He is a really, really good athlete and obviously has that play temperament that all those Georgia defenders have. Can you think, Ben, and, and Dane, you can chime in, or, or Fran, any of you guys can really chime in on this one. Can you think of a of position group or positional, you know, side of the ball that has been so deep that a player has come out and has just been so lost because you had so many stars stacked, you know, on that side of the ball that it's like, well, who, who's this guy? This is the sixth guy from, you know, the, let's say Alabama defense that's getting drafted, but he could be the guy who ends up being the best pro of them all. Ohio State's uh, receivers, and that's the first one that comes to my mind, just with, you know, Jamison Williams. Uh, the moment Chris Olave came back this year, Jamison Williams is like, all right, well, I'm out, and transfers to Alabama and, become, you know, blows <laughs> up. And then Olave and Garrett Wilson opt out of the bowl game, the Rose Bowl. Then all of a sudden, you know, Smith and Jigman, who had a great year, he emerges as, oh, maybe I'm the best of the group. And then they uh, these other freshmen uh, with Mar Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. and these other young guys. So, that that group immediately comes to mind. But to your point, yeah, the Georgia linebackers, uh, I mean, Ohio State had three linebackers drafted in, in last year's draft and Ohio or Georgia's linebacker group this year, uh, even more stacked, more loaded. Yeah, it like, I feel like you go right to the top programs that get these elite athletes coming out of high school and listen, 18 to 22 year olds in all walks of life 
have turbulent results. It's really tough to predict the path, the success, the failures. Some struggle with, you know, just the responsibility of leaving home. So anytime you can look at the Clemson, Ohio State's, Alabama's, Georgia's, where they have tons of potential, just maybe don't always get their footing early on in their college careers. Maybe they don't produce like they should, but they have that ability, that upside. And I like to point to our own kind of like Josh Sweat, who was a number one player out of high school, had some knee injuries, never really produced, was kind of buried in the class, a lot of defensive ends. Ends up being a really productive player because of those tools and those abilities and that length that he had initially. So I think every year there's guys like that in every top program has some really intriguing players behind the scenes for whatever reason. So Fran will be disappointed because I haven't gone back to count the previous on the clock segment. So I don't know the exact <laughs> scoreboard coming into this, uh, but Ben, you're going to get the win for this one. And I, I think the, the best case you made was right off the jump talking about how, you know, these guys are at least on Dane's board. Obviously lots of, you know, <laughs> will probably go up a little bit uh, in a deep tight end group, but you know, you mentioned Christian Harris's LB three, you know, on Dane's rankings, Nolan Smith is nowhere to be found. And now you're like, wait a second, this is a guy who plays on, you know, the best, you know, defensive unit in the entire country. They win the natty. Is this the guy who everyone's going to be like forgetting about? Is he going to be like swept under the rug because of the Nakobe Deans and all the other talented prospects they have? So exactly. Uh, Ben, I'm, I'm going to give it uh, to you. We got we to gotta clarify, though. Uh, at the beginning oh, of the year... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Dave's trying to come in to change the result at the last minute. I like I that. Like the 13 no, no. footnote. Yeah, I love it. No, Nolan Turner, he was not in the, the August rankings, but be, the last week before the game, I came out with my top 30 prospects, ranked them all that are playing in a game, national title game, and Nolan Turner was, I think... Let me look it up here. He, he was 10th. So crazy. There's a top 30 list for a single game of prospects. What, a, it, what an insane thought. If all the Georgia kids come out, Georgia is going to set a new record for draft picks, which is currently at 14 in the modern record or in the modern uh, era. Georgia might break that, but Nolan Turner was uh, Nolan uh, Smith, Nolan Smith or Nolan Smith. Yeah. He, he was the, uh, my number two, uh, yeah. Number two linebacker in this game behind Dwayne the Kobe Dean. So he is high up there, but I mean, see, I mean, I have no problem with you picking Ben because he had a Nolan Turner did or Nolan Smith did have a good game, and he is a, a guy that I think maybe is not as well known as Quay Walker or even Channing Tindall or the Alabama linebackers, but he's a good player. And C-Mac, to speak to that, he has eligibility remaining. If the advisory committee gives him gives him a third round grade, he may look at that and say, "Oh no, 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 no way! I'm going back, and I want to be a first rounder and really build off of this season." So. Uh, I think there's a lot to still figure out with whether some of these kids are staying or going. But in order to talk about stock improvement, we had to know where the stock was. And I go right to Dane Brugler for a lot of these stock kind of watches here. And you had to know where he was. He wasn't on the top 15 edge list. That couldn't make him want to go back to school. But he had a really big night last night that definitely bolstered that uh, that stock. And he's, he's eligible. That's the main thing here. He's no a question. guy who is eligible for this year. So, so there you have it. So, Ben... Congratulations. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. So the 2021 version of our On the Clock, our second annual On the Clock segment, uh, results in a tie. I came away with the win last year. Uh, ben getting the big win. He ties it up. And we, all five of us got five wins. Or all three of us, I should say, had five wins uh, on the season. Good stuff. 
as always, from CMAC. Uh, let's wrap this up with a question from our Apple Podcast page. And again, the best way to throw us your support, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, power rankings, a mock draft, whatever it is, or it could be a question about process like this one here from Scouts Doubt, who left a five-star review and said, Fran, how do you go about watching film on a player? Do you judge them based on every play on film at a very nuanced level, or do you see what just sticks out to you in general? I feel like it's best to not just watch their impact plays or judge them by their lack of those plays. Thanks again. Keep up the great show. So, uh, Scott's now great question. And it's a conversation I love having with people. And we talk about, think back to our summer series where we talk about, uh, evaluators and their draft, pro- the, the scouting process, how they approach evaluating players. To me personally, I like sitting down. I, I like to make a multiple passes through a player. So uh, typically, I'll do it at least twice. Some for some players, when you get into like the top fifty, top seventy-five players, uh, I try and make at least two, more likely three or four passes through a guy's film. On any given one sitting, I'll try and watch, especially the first one, at least two, up to three games, sometimes up to four games, just depending on the player and the day. Uh, but usually I'll watch a, a handful of games. That first one, I'm just watching and soaking it in. I'm not writing any notes down. I want to just get a sense of the usage and his role and how he, and some of the athletic traits that pop off the film. And then after that, you can start getting into more of the nitty-gritty notes and some of the uh, the position-specific things. And when it comes to uh, full body of work versus just the impact plays, to me, it, 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 it's all about the full body of work. And um, you, know, we can, you can watch all of a player's sacks, all of a player's interceptions, all of his catches. And I do that. That's one thing. Depending on the position, uh, I'll watch, let's say for a corner, I'll watch four or five games total. By the time all the watches are done, we'll watch, you know, we'll say anywhere between three and five games. Then we'll watch all of his picks, all of his pass breakups. And I'll watch all the big plays allowed by that defense, right? So you want to be able to see both sides of the coin, the, the negative and the positive and the full games. And, and to me, trying to get the full picture on as many players as possible is my goal uh, going into studying a prospect. Um, obviously, you're not going to be able to be, to be able to do that level on every single player just because I'm, I'm one person. Um, but to me, that that's when I feel really, really good about a player's evaluation. And again, it's going to change position by position and uh, the, how much and, and all, all of those things. But uh, to me, watching uh, watching as much as possible, trying to get as full a picture as possible. It can't just be highlights. I think you have to be able to see the opposite end of the spectrum as well. And so, you know, we've talked about with, about that with people in the past. Hey, how do you choose which games you want to study? Sometimes it's best competition. Sometimes it's the most productive game. Sometimes it's the least productive game because you want to be able to see both ends of it. Uh, and so that's, that's the way that I approach it. There's a, we could probably do a whole discussion. We, we can do a whole discussion uh, in the future, just about process, but uh, scouts out. Great question. Thanks so much for your continued support of this show uh, here on the journey of the draft podcast. Again, you can go on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question like that one, you can leave it there. We will answer it here in an upcoming show. Good stuff this week uh, from CMAC, from Ben, from Dane, from Ian Cunningham. We'll be back later this week, right here on the journey of the draft podcast presented by life brand. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella Giovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.